In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Betches Media presents... Diet Starts Tomorrow with host Sammy Sage I'm having a relationship with my pizza and Aileen Drexler I'm gonna make you girls a hump day treat in a world where wellness looks perfect on Instagram just doing my workout Tuesday's arms and back but feels anything but in real life is butter a carb? yes this is the podcast exploring the emotional side of well-being I would be proud to partake of your pecan pie from people who understand the struggle I am on the third day of my cleanse diet Hello and welcome to Diet Starts Tomorrow. I'm Sammy. I'm Aileen. And today we are joined by ABC News' chief medical correspondent, Dr. Jennifer Ashton, to talk about her book, The New Normal, A Roadmap to Resilience in the Pandemic Era, which is a guide to surviving the continued challenges of the pandemic. I feel like I need you, need to talk to you right now. This is like perfect timing. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me with you guys. And now you're always connected, so you can reach out at any time. Oh, great. Thank you. Um, Yeah, so like we're now a year into this pandemic, so I feel like your book is very, it it feels like we got to read it. So can you tell us what is the roadmap to resilience in this pandemic era? And what? how did you even, or, or even before that, how did you become... ABC's chief medical correspondent, and then talk to us about resilience in the pandemic era. (laughs) Okay. So first of all, my story to this position is a little bit untraditional, non-traditional, whatever the proper word is, um, because, you know, there are only, every network has one chief medical correspondent, right? So it's not like there's dozens of doctors in the country who do what I do. There's basically three other doctors who do what I do. Um, If you include Sanjay Gupta at CNN, and I obviously think we should include him. um, You know, I never planned to have a career in television, in network news, in medical journalism. Um, I just kind of fell into this 14, 15 years ago. And I have been at ABC for almost a decade, um, first as senior medical contributor, and then um, more recently in the last four years as chief medical correspondent. I'm only the third doctor to hold that title in the history of ABC Network, which is 75 years. I am the first woman to hold that position. And um, congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. And, um, you know, I just love it because a lot of people don't realize, but in order to become a doctor in medical school, we have to learn everything, psychiatry, dermatology, infectious disease, oncology, pediatrics. And then of course, most people specialize. Um, But as a board certified OBGYN, my specialty is women's health, which is a lot of the stuff that we talk about that makes news headlines um, and that appeals to our viewing audience. So I feel that my role and my job and position at ABC News makes me a better practicing physician and vice versa. Um, There have been so many 
kind of topics or um, studies that have come out in the last 10 years that I've been able to directly use to my patients' benefits. And the only way I knew about them was because I had to cover them for ABC News. So that's kind of like a um, encapsulated view um, as to kind of how I really got to this place, but also why it's so important to me. Um, your question though about the book is um, as important, I think, because you know, for the last year plus, I've been living, eating, breathing, sleeping, all things COVID, um, literally seven days a week, 24 hours a day as the chief medical correspondent for the country's number one network. So I have had to speak, I, Tony Fauci's personal cell phone is on speed dial, no joke. And by the way, he texts with um, emoticons. So fun fact. <laughs> oh my gosh, um, if he calls you, like, can you patch oh, him in? <laughs> I mean, let me tell you, it doesn't get old, if you know what I mean. Like, I have been talking to the country's top infectious disease experts, public health officials, FDA commissioner, head of CDC. I was at the White House um, last year. I was at the NIH Vaccine Development Lab. Like, this has been all-encompassing. And, you know, probably by last summer, I realized that viewers and patients and friends and family alike were asking me, for more. They wanted more information to help them, you know, assess and integrate the rapidly changing landscape into their lives. And so at the same time, I found myself kind of repeating the same concepts or themes on the air in covering the COVID pandemic. And so that was kind of the motivation behind the book is that I wanted to share with readers, you know, my insights at being on the inside of this biggest story of our lifetime and one of the biggest global health emergencies in history, but also give them very practical information. So as I put it, it's like really how to think like a doctor. Um, and that was kind of the book was born. Wow. Your job sounds really fun, to be honest. It is. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> was it really, yeah. was it ever like, I mean, I'm sure it was, but is there like a story you can share of like a time that it was so stressful that you were just like, I need, you know, I need to take a break or this is like, or am I living through like trauma? Like something that you, you really felt like this is impacting my life, not only from the job perspective, but the pandemic perspective. Actually, there have been dozens and dozens of times like that actually in the last year um i've cried about this pandemic about like loss of life or stress or fear or loss of our livelihood as we've known it so many times i can't even tell you um and for me personally and part of what i share in the book kind of as not only what I was going through personally, but what was going on on a national and global scale with the pandemic was that, um, you know, it was, I was awakened at one in the morning, the night President Trump's COVID made news around the world. And I was put on the air via phone within 60 seconds of getting the call. And then within an hour, I was on television, live television, I had a home studio for a year. It was just broken down. Like, I, and I have a small apartment, like it took over my dining room. And I, I did most of our television broadcasts from my apartment. And 
you know, for months was dialed into the White House coronavirus press conferences and had to pull off the road to speak in a special event by phone the day the president was airlifted from the White House to Walter Reed Medical Center. And, um, you know, having to walk that fine line between a story that had been so politicized when really, to me, um, you know, you guys, I say all the time, like, I stay in my lane. I'm a doctor. I have, like, I think like a doctor and a scientist. I don't weigh in on politics, to be quite honest. I was too busy staying current on every study and, you know, kind of news release that had to do with this virus. I had no time to think about, like, was that a blue state or a red state or a red person or a blue person? I, I really, like, I could care less. And so for me, it was so emotionally taxing, physically taxing, intellectually and psychologically taxing. And all of this was happening as I was living through so much of the same things that millions and millions of people in the country were living through. It was crazy. I have a question about um, your thoughts about kind of like what we're about to be dealing with, which is so people I think are really excited for the country to like reopen and like they're planning travel and parties again. And it does really feel like sort of a reverse of last year. But what do you think in terms of like the psychological impact that this has had on all of us returning to normal? I, I wonder if it will be a more emotional experience than people realize and kind of like what you would I guess tell people to to maybe expect like what feelings would be normal around that what like physical reactions might be normal and like then how to sort of cope with that well I think you ask a really important question because um I absolutely think it's going to be emotional for a lot of people and I think that's going to catch people off guard a little bit and the reason for that is that if people have taken this pandemic seriously and really you know, kind of isolated themselves as much as the scientists and public health officials have been encouraging us to do. You know, I just saw a friend two weeks ago and we've both been doubly vaccinated now. I hadn't hugged her or seen her in 15 and a half months. And when we finally did see each other, you know, it was really emotional. And, you know, people can say that about so many people in their lives, right? Parents, grandparents, friends, whatever. Um, and so I think it's really important to recognize and acknowledge that um, emotional aspect of it. I think when you say like reopening slash back to normal, as you guys know, in the book, I caution against that way of thinking because that implies that we can reverse time or live time in reverse. And we obviously cannot do that. So um, it's not that we're going back to normal. We are going into a different existence, right? That's not going to look like it has for the last year, but it's probably not going to look like it looked in 2019 either, right? So um, I think a really good analogy is like when, when women have a baby and it drives me crazy when that headline is like, how to get your body back, your pre-baby body back. I'm like, you just grew another human. Like, 
there's no like to to say that you want it back to the way it was before almost uh, does a disrespect for the process that you just went through right so it's going to be different i'm not saying it's going to be worse i'm not saying it's going to be better but it's going to be different and i think like looking at it as such is the respectful and appropriate and accurate way to to look at that and i think the same could be said about our entire country or our little microcosms you know i think that as we do whatever we're going to be doing this summer and hopefully more people are vaccinated um you know it's going to be different it is going to look different and that's fine i think that it should look different right um but i think people do need to be realistic as we embark on that and open minded and expect a little bit of anxiety to go along with that because it's such unfamiliar like ground it feels like cat food has been the same forever smelly boring made of mystery ingredients that's why you've got to try smalls smalls cat food is protein packed recipes made with preservative free ingredients you'd find in your fridge and it's delivered right to your door make the switch from kibble and give your cat a meal they'll love we actually sent some to my friend who is fostering kittens and it is the only thing they will eat it comes in these pate packages and you scoop it and you just feel like you're a chef for your baby kitties and they j'adore it your cute kitty is descended from ferocious desert cats who hunted live prey. Even if your cat prefers to nap all day, they still need fresh protein-packed meals for a balanced and healthy diet. Other brands fill their food with mysterious meat byproducts, artificial flavoring, and preservatives with names I don't even want to try to pronounce. After switching it up to Smalls, 90% of cat owners reported overall health improvements. That's major. The team at Smalls is so confident your cat will love their product that you can try it risk-free. That means they'll completely refund you if your picky cat won't eat their food. Now is the time to make the switch to Smalls. Head to smalls.com DST and use promo code DST at checkout for 50% off your first order plus free shipping. That's the best offer you'll find, but you have to use my code DST for 50% off your first order. One last time, that's promo code DST for 50% off your first order plus free shipping, baby. When you say it's going to look different, what are some things, like concrete things that you expect it will look like? I think that masking is on some level going to remain present for a, in a lot of different scenarios, right? Maybe travel or maybe in the workplace, you know, things like that. Um, I think that, you know, I... I do believe, and this is just my medical opinion, this is not, I didn't get this from Tony, <laughs> um, but I, I do believe that down the road, considerably down the road, we are going to settle into a place where COVID or SARS-CoV-2 is endemic. It's not a pandemic, it's endemic, it's just out there, you know, and we still need to take it very seriously and it can still do major damage, but it's out there. Um, but we're not months away from that, you know, we're years away from that. So I think that, um, you know, I think there are certain things that will be different. And then I think on an individual level, the fear or PTSD from what we've just observed or lived through is going to persist for, for many. Talking about like 
norm going back to normal. And obviously we're saying that we shouldn't really use that phrase in a literal sense. Um, what are ways in which people can sort of go back to feeling normal, but still like reducing anxiety and still taking safety precautions? Like what, what do you recommend still say you get vaccinated and the people you spend time with are mostly vaccinated? What is, what is overkill and what is appropriate? So I have a whole chapter in the book, the new normal about, um, basically fear or extreme fear, um, uh, not just of COVID, but of, of any germ or whatever. And what I take people through is what's appropriate and what's, you know, kind of crosses the line, so to speak. Um, and I think that when people, the way people should think about how to protect themselves, you know, again, even after they're vaccinated is with attention to these parameters that I go through in the book of time, place, people, and space, right? And that's just not helpful for COVID. That's for anything. That's for influenza. That's for whatever. And that just means how long are you in a situation or an environment? Are you indoors or outdoors? Are people masked or not? Um, how far apart are you between people? You know, are you inches or are you 10 feet, six feet, three feet, whatever? Um, and, and how many people are there? You know, like, is it, are there three people in the room or are there 300 people in the room? And I think that when you, when you think about things on that level, it becomes a lot easier to stratify. Do you think there's going to be like within this year, the ability to go to like kind of a normal wedding, like with 300 people, let's say, or like a concert or like indoor dining at kind of the, the old capacity? Um, you know, I think there are a lot of variables there that are TBD. I think, for, you know, if let's say there were this hypothetical where everyone were vaccinated, yeah, I think you could feel pretty comfortable, um, you know, with a mask on, I would wear a mask, even though I've been doubly vaccinated, like, you know, going to a concert like that. So, you know, if people are not vaccinated or these variants, you know, down the road become a major problem, then it changes everything. And so one of the things that I think is really important about where we are now and where we may be down the road, and I, you know, it goes without saying, but I, I finished the book in September of 2020. So I didn't include tons of factoids in there that now we've learned are inaccurate. That's why I say like the, the theory of the book is really how to think like a doctor so that the things in the book are still relevant. You know what I mean? They haven't, they haven't been disproven. Um, that's why they're, I think, so impactful for people because they don't depend on something staying as it is right now, because by the way, that just doesn't happen. Like we're always learning new things in medicine and science and life. So I think that, you know, there are a lot of variables that no one has the answer to right now. And the people who say they know, or who guess are literally just, you know, they're betting or they're looking into a crystal ball that doesn't exist. I know you're talking about fear. What about the fear around the vaccine? You know, with a lot of like misinformation out there and like very easy access to misinformation, 
What about that? And also as an OBGYN, I wanted to add, I'm personally, I'm pregnant. So I'm right now <laughs> thinking about getting the vaccine. And so my second question is how are doctors recommending it despite there being less data for pregnant people? That's an awesome question. And the way that we're recommending it is because of how to think like a doctor, right? It's not that, you know, when you, when you make a decision about how to manage someone's medical situation or their health, you don't know everything about it, but you can still manage their health, right? And the way that we do that in medicine is that we're trained to weigh or answer four questions, four variables. And I go through this in the book, in the new normal, which is, What's the risk of getting? So let's take you as a hypothetical person. What's the risk of getting the vaccine? What's the risk of not getting the vaccine? What's the benefit of getting the vaccine? And what's the benefit of not getting the vaccine? Now, some of those questions you can actually put a number answer to, right? So um, we know that pregnant women are at higher risk of complications of covid and that potentially that, of course, could impact their fetus, right? Um, that's a known. They're, they are at higher risk than the average not, you know, non-pregnant person. Um, we don't know what the risks are of a vaccine in pregnancy because the clinical trials are happening right now. But what we do know is based on other vaccines, they have a very good safety track record in pregnancy. That's a fact, right? Also, if you look at how these vaccines work, you, there are only a certain number of possibilities in terms of what it could do or not do. You know, it's not changing your DNA. That's a myth, <laughs> okay? So that is absolutely 0% chance of that happening. Um, you know, and then you look at the clinical trial data and you extrapolate those real numbers. So risk of an allergic reaction, risk of a clotting event, all low, 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 right? Real numbers. What's the benefit of getting the vaccine? Benefit is your life may be saved. Your fetus's life may be saved. You could go to work and not have to worry about being furloughed or quarantined or, you know, sick or whatever. You might protect someone else in your circle by not getting them sick. What's the benefit of not getting it? I don't know. I kind of subscribe to the belief that inaction is not a decisive measure. You know, you don't want to decide something by indecision. And so that's how we make decisions in medicine. You weigh risks versus benefits, but for, for two questions each. So, you know, and every person is different, right? If you told me, you know, Jen, I, I never leave my apartment. I um, don't have any exposure to people who may have COVID. I'm, you know, young, low risk, healthy, and, you know, whatever. I would say, okay, you know what? Maybe for you, the, there are not such massive benefits to getting the vaccine. So you want to make your risk as low as, as it can be. So don't get it. But if you told me, Jen, Here's my story. I'm 40 years old. I'm black or brown. I have high blood pressure. I'm obese and I work an essential job. I'm a nurse in a hospital and I live with other people who also work essential jobs who might get exposed. I'd be like, you better run. Don't walk to get that vaccine because 
are a totally different risk. That, that's really how we think of things in medicine. And, um, and I think when people go through that thought process, it becomes a lot more manageable um, to make a decision for themselves. And, you know, uh, as I've said multiple times on television, a scientific mind is an open mind. No one knows it all, right? And so in pregnancy, you know, it's, you're, you have two lives that you're taking care of. There are a lot of unknowns. We're always going to fall on the default being like air on the side of caution. But the last thing we want is a dead pregnant woman <laughs> who leaves like their family without a mother and their fetus without a mother or two lives lost. And that has happened. You know, that has happened. So I hope that kind of helps you <laughs> a little bit. And yeah, that does. Yeah, that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. It's like where like there's unknowns on both sides. So you have to weigh the risks and like read about it as much as you can. But speaking of reading about it, how do you discern what's, you know, good information and what's not? <laughs> well, so first of all, there are some easy things. Number one, you know, how credentialed is this is your source right is your source the chief medical correspondent for the number one network in the country or is your source the national Enquirer? you know like uh, there's a big difference right is your source the cdc or the world health organization or is your source like a random site online that you can't verify right um so those are the basics then i think you have to listen and read between the lines. And I don't mean literally, I mean what you're hearing and what you're seeing as well, which is, as I just said about honesty and transparency, you know, a, if you go to a doctor and your doctor says, I know it all, this is definite, blah, 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 blah. You should find another doctor. I mean, no, it's, it's literally like being a parent, like no one knows it all. Right. And so honesty is really important. Um, and then you should ask, like, does this person have an agenda? Now, unfortunately, there are a, on a regular basis, people who don't know how things actually function say, oh, doctors are all in the, in the pocket of big pharma. Not true. Um, that's actually against the law now. So, um, you know, there's, uh, doctors don't get paid for every vaccine we give. We don't get paid for every prescription we write. I mean, th these are all myths, right? Um, and so I think that, you know, there are some ways that people can try to get good information, but also understand that there are a lot of, if you get 10 doctors in a room or, or even take the network correspondence, right? My colleagues, like there are four of us. If you have the same medical headline, which there is literally on a daily basis, and you listen to the four of us explain it, there'll be some similarities and then there'll be some differences. And that doesn't make one person's way right or wrong. It's just, there's an art to the practice of medicine and there's also a science to it. And so I think that ultimately someone who's trying to get good information will pick for themselves the art part, you know, what part speaks to them um, what do they find easy to understand or comforting? Um, and then the credentials part, I think, is pretty, pretty straightforward. This episode is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick but can't always find the super high-end stuff? 
I have a solution for you, Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for this season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription clothing rental service. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. Access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands. There are no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X as well as petite and maternity. And you always have the option to buy what you love. I love Newly. I've rented so many cute things from there, and I've even made a few purchases from there. And They're always spot on. They have so many brands that I honestly could never afford in real life, so it's great to be able to rent them. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles, but right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code DST20. Just go to Newly, that's N-U-U-L-Y.com, and enter the code DST20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y dot com, newly with two U's, with code DST20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. Just touching on this, when it comes to sort of the wellness industry and especially on social media, um, it seems, I mean, there was just an article in Harper's Bazaar about how... um, basically like this sort of like woo-woo wellness corner of social media has really become kind of threatening in terms of the misinformation that they um, that they spread. And then also the fact that they are fed to people through the algorithms if you like somebody similar. So how would you say that that problem can be like combated or like I guess like what do you make of that? Are you talking, I just want to make sure I'm understanding you correctly. Are you talking about like basically shaming or peer pressure in terms of what's going on on social media? Well, there's there's a lot of, um, there's kind of like a number of influencers who are, they're, it's like kind of this toxic positivity of like, you get to make your own decision combined with like a few of the myths that you had named like about Big Pharma, which I mean, has its own, it's its own issue, but you know, people do believe things like that doctors are getting compensated or somehow it is benefiting them to be giving vaccines. And the way people sort of enter this corner of the internet, like it starts off really innocent, like crystals and essential oils. And then it becomes like medicine is bad. Vaccines are bad. Yeah. So that's kind of like, got it. Yeah. So, So yeah. Okay. I'm glad. Thanks for clarifying that. Um, so how I deal with those people um, is, is really informed by the fact that I still see real patients, right? I'm not hashtag just a doctor on TV, right? <laughs> and so when you deal with real people, and, and every doctor will have their own philosophy on this, but my philosophy is this is a free country. It's not a dictatorship, okay? Um, my doctor-patient relationship is a partnership. It's not a dictatorship. So my job is to inform, counsel, educate about medical issues, okay, in a way, as long as I need to do it, as many times as I need to do it so that my patients or any patient or viewer understands it. And then it is their job to make a decision. And I respect their decision. 
period, right? I've operated on hundreds of women who are Jehovah's Witnesses who sign a refusal to accept blood transfusion, even in a case of life-threatening hemorrhage. That's their decision. I don't get worked up about it. That's their religion. They are entitled to that decision. It certainly wouldn't be the decision I make, but I'm not a Jehovah's Witness. And if I were, you know, a, a member of a religion that felt very strongly about that, I would expect people to respect my decision. Um, when we are in medical school and we learn oncology, one of the first things we learn is that when you counsel a patient who has cancer about their treatment options, one of the options is no treatment. Now, that's not a common option. That's not a common choice that people, but people do take that choice for a variety of reasons and they are entitled to make that choice and they're just in that decision. And I believe it should be respected and supported, right? The difference here is that what you described in your question so eloquently is that a lot of these, it's one thing when your decision only affects you, right? We're in a situation right now where actually your decisions have a direct and potentially life-threatening impact on those around you, right? So now you're still entitled to your opinion. You're still entitled to respect and support, and it's still a free country. But if you take a radical view of something, now you could be endangering my life too, right? So I think that that that's an example of the pendulum having swung way too far in one direction. Um, you know, and people don't understand how medicine and science works. So when they hear things like don't wear masks, now wear masks, they're like, look at that, you know, look at that flip flop. Well, it's not a flip flop. Actually, we learned, we learned new information about how this virus behaves. We learned that 50% of people infected with SARS-CoV-2 have no symptoms and they can spread the virus. We learned that, that because of that asymptomatic spread, that masks actually still serve the same purpose as they did when we said, don't wear masks. They are put on sick people to protect those around you, around that sick person. Um, and we also learned, which has never been known before, that now the masks can actually protect the person wearing them, which a lot of people might say, well, isn't that obvious? Well, in medicine and science, we don't just go with something because it seems like it makes sense. Like we have to see, <laughs> I know you're like, but it's like true, you know, we have to do the studies. Like that's what takes so long. That's why some people study a virus for 50 years and they still don't know everything there is to know. HIV has been studied for almost 40 years. We still don't know everything about HIV, influenza, the list goes on and on. So I think that part of why that fringe kind of culture has really, you know, gotten some legs in the last year. A lot of it comes from, um, inadequate or ineffective communication on the part of people in high positions um, that, you know, we're in the middle of a global health emergency. Like you don't get a second chance to communicate information. It has to be nailed every time. Um, and so there were some missteps there. 
And I think that when people are fearful or uncertain about a situation, their default is oftentimes to control what they can control, which is valid. And so they feel a better sense of control if they do these things, but that doesn't make it right. Right. I always sort of like laugh when, when people who are skeptics or maybe like get a little, they, you know, they're sort of fed information from this area of the internet and they're like, I'm going to do my own research. It's like, with what lab? Like, what research are you going to do that's better? It's <laughs> like, really funny you say that because one time before, way before COVID, um, I was asked on Good Morning America to talk about a new book um, that was out about pregnancy and it was written by an economist. And so I was asked to talk about it with George Stephanopoulos and the author, who's obviously a brilliant person. I think she has a PhD in economics from the University of Chicago, if I remember correctly. I got that book recommended to me twice. Yeah. And so I was like, um, I can read English. That doesn't mean that if I read the Constitution, I know as much as a constitutional lawyer. Like. Right. I, I mean, I can use a calculator, but that doesn't mean that I, you know, do my own taxes or if I have a legal problem that I read a book and then represent myself, like, come on, this is lunacy, right? Like right. it is sheer lunacy. And so I, I think when people say I'm going to do my own research, what that should mean is, yeah, read as much as you can, but then Go to a credentialed expert and help them go through with you how to interpret and analyze that information. I mean, have you guys yeah. ever read a, a legal contract? I'm sure you have. Right? Yeah. Okay. Boring. Hey, it's English, right? And you're like, what am I reading? Like, is this, bless you, is this, is this a sentence? Like, what are these words strung together? I literally do not understand this. And yet... English is all of our first language. That doesn't mean that we can we can review our own legal documents. I mean, this is and and people's lives are at stake here. So I think you know there's a big difference between someone saying like I'm going to do my own research, which I think everyone should do, and by the way, they should know the words and read the articles and whatever, and then they should go to an expert who has actually gone for higher education to study this, whether it's finance or law or business or politics or medicine, and have that discussion with that person. I think the problem, though, lies in the fact that a lot of people who come go down that rabbit hole lose trust in those experts. They believe that they aren't actually... Uh, trustworthy. They think they have other motives, I think, or like compensation is usually. They have other motives. They have they have an agenda. Whether and then, like I've talked, I have a friend who's sort of down this rabbit hole, and I try not to get into too deep conversation with her. But she just she flat out says, "You and I have different information," and I'm like, "Okay." Like, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> um, but what she, she's like reading Reddit, like you know? What no, I mean? no, she's no. she's what she's connecting dots that aren't connected necessarily. So she's the one connecting them. And that's the research is what I think is happening. Right. And listen, it goes back to the way where I started this, which, which is, you know, 
knock yourself out, make your own decision. And I pray to God that the person making that decision doesn't die or kill someone else with whatever their decision is. And I really mean that. I don't mean that in a snarky way. I literally mean that. And so I can't tell you how many dozens of patients I had who disregarded all of the warnings in the, in, from September through December, they were like, oh, this is so blown out of proportion. I'm young, healthy. I have nothing to worry about. They all got COVID. And by the way, this is from teenagers all the way up to 50-year-old women. They all got COVID. And when they got COVID, they would call my office and go, oh, my God, what do I do? I go, what, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean, what do you do? Like, there's nothing to do now. Now, have you been watching TV? Like, this is what we're talking about. Like, you, there is nothing to do now. That's why public health officials were saying, don't go out, don't have parties, don't go to the shore, don't blah, blah, blah. And then when it happens, people are surprised. So I hope that people like your friend, I really do hope this, that nothing bad happens to them. But unfortunately, I've been a doctor for 16 years and I've had a pregnant patient die of influenza, you know, and I have seen the worst case scenario happen. I've seen it. So I take this stuff very, very seriously. And look, bad things can happen to any of us, even if we do all the right things. But at least if you do all the right things and the bad stuff happens, you don't have to look at yourself in the mirror and go, why didn't I do X, Y, or Z? Because that makes it a zillion times worse. Right. It's true. It's true. Well, thank you so, so much for this. This has been great and very, very informative. <laughs> Everyone go get the new normal, a roadmap to resilience in the pandemic era. Thank you so much, Dr. Ashton. I'm so glad I could talk to you guys forever and good luck with your pregnancy. And thanks for having me on your awesome podcast and just stay well and happy spring and summer. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I love Dr. Ashton, Sammy. Do you love Dr. Ashton? <laughs> Same. I'm like, I I would love to talk to her. Maybe, maybe she could be my OBGYN <laughs> if and when I have a baby. Yeah. I mean, you can use her as a regular GYN too. That's the beauty of the GYN part. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I mean, I am due for an appointment soon because of the pandemic. So what I liked about her was the way she looked at risk as like, there's no such thing as zero risk, but she looked at it in like a really... A scientific way. Yeah, that like you could actually apply to your life by looking at like your circumstances and everything. Absolutely, yeah. So oh, by the way, fan. guys, the way we're talking about her, she signed off. So we're <laughs> she's not currently in this podcast <laughs> as we discuss the podcast. Um, but anyway, as usual, guys, go follow us at Diet Stars Tomorrow at Sammy at Aileen rate review subscribe please on itunes subscribe or follow on spotify tell all of your friends to listen to diet starts tomorrow and email us dst at betches.com with your dear dsts for our thursday's episode your non-scale wins for thursday's episode and we're always with you through thick and thin Diet Starts Tomorrow is produced by Sean Kilby and Jorge Morales Pico. Editing by Stacey Wong and Sean Kilby. Social media by Sydney Rafe. Guest booking by Nicole Pellegrino. Be sure to follow at Diet Starts Tomorrow on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And send us your emails to dst at betches.com. Betches.